J.C. Ryle's Devotional Thoughts on the Gospel of Luke Section 26 Jesus Heals a Leper Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16 And it came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold a man full of leprosy, who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face, and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing, according as Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. We see in this passage our Lord Jesus Christ's power over incurable diseases. A man full of leprosy applies to him for relief and is at once healed. This was a mighty miracle. Of all illnesses which can afflict the body of man, leprosy appears to be the most severe. It affects every part of the constitution at once. It brings sores and decay upon the skin, corruption into the blood, and rottenness into the bones. It is a living death which no medicine can check or stop. Yet, here we read of a leper being made well in a moment. It is but one touch from the hand of the Son of God, and the cure is effected. It is but one single touch of that almighty hand, and immediately the leprosy departed from him. We have in this wonderful history a lively emblem of Christ's power to heal our souls. What are we all but spiritual lepers in the sight of God? Sin is the deadly leprosy by which we are all affected. It has eaten into our vitals. It has infected all our faculties, heart, conscience, mind, and will, all are diseased by sin. From the sole of our foot to the crown of our head, there is no soundness in us, only welts and wounds and putrefying sores. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 6. Such is the state in which we are all born. Such is the state in which we all naturally live. We are, in one sense, dead, long before we are laid in the grave. Our bodies may be healthy and active, but our souls are by nature dead in trespasses and sins. Who shall deliver us from the body of death? Let us thank God that Jesus Christ can. He is that divine physician who can make old things pass away and all things become new. In him is life. He can wash us thoroughly in his own blood from all the defilement of sin. He can quicken us and revive us by his own spirit. He can cleanse our hearts, open the eyes of our understandings, renew our wills, and make us whole. Let this truth sink down deeply 
into our hearts. There's only one medicine to heal our sin-sick souls. If we are lost, it is not because there is no remedy provided. However corrupt our hearts and however wicked our past lives, there is hope for us in the gospel. There is no case of spiritual leprosy too hard for Christ. We see secondly in this passage our Lord Jesus Christ's willingness to help those who are in need. The petition of the affected leper was a very touching one. Lord, he said, if you will, you can make me clean. The answer he received was singularly merciful and gracious. At once our Lord replies, I will be clean. Those two little words, I will, deserve special notice. They are a deep mine, rich in comfort and encouragement to all laboring and heavy-laden souls. They show us the mind of Christ towards sinners. They exhibit His infinite willingness to do good to sinful men and His readiness to show compassion. Let us always remember that if men are not saved, it is not because Jesus is not willing to save them. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He would have gathered Jerusalem's children as a hen gathers her chicks, if they would only have been gathered. But they would not. The blame of the sinner's ruin must be borne by himself. If he is lost forever, it is his own will. It is a solemn saying of our Lord's, You will not come unto me that you might have life. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32, Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, and John chapter 5, verse 40. We see, thirdly, in this passage, what respect our Lord Jesus Christ paid to the ceremonial law of Moses. He bids the leper to go and show himself to the priest, according to the requirement in Leviticus, that he may be legally pronounced clean. He bids him offer an offering on the occasion of his doing so, according as Moses commanded. Our Lord knew well that the ceremonies of the Mosaic law were only shadows and types of good things to come, and had in themselves no inherent power. He knew well that the last days of the Levitical institutions were close at hand, and that they were soon to be laid aside forever. But, so long as they were not abrogated, he would have them respected. They were ordained by God himself. They were pictures and lively emblems of the gospel, they were not, therefore, to be lightly esteemed. There is a lesson here for Christians which we shall do well to remember. Let us take heed that we do not despise the ceremonial law because its work is done. Let us beware of neglecting those parts of the Bible which contain it under the idea that the believer in the gospel has nothing to do with them. It is true that the darkness is past, 
and the true light now shines. 1 John chapter 2, verse 8. We have nothing to do now with altars, sacrifices, or priests. Those who wish to revive them are like men who light a candle at noonday. But, as true as this is, we must never forget that the ceremonial law is still full of instruction. It contains that same gospel in the bud which we now see in full flower. Rightly understood, we shall always find it throwing strong light on the gospel of Christ. The Bible reader who neglects to study it will always find at least that by neglect his soul has suffered damage. We see lastly in this passage our Lord Jesus Christ's diligence about private prayer. Although crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses, he still made time for secret devotion. As holy and undefiled as he was, he would not allow the demands of public ministry to prevent regular private communion with God. We are told that he withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. There is an example set before us here which is much overlooked in these latter days. There are few professing Christians, it may be feared, who strive to imitate Christ in this matter of private devotion. There is abundance of hearing and reading and talking and profession and visiting and almsgiving and subscribing to societies and teaching at schools. But is there, together with all this, a due proportion of private prayer. Are believing men and women sufficiently careful to be frequently alone with God? These are humbling and heart-searching questions, but we shall find it useful to give an answer to them. Why is it that there is so much apparent religious working, and yet so little result in real conversions to God? Why is it there are so many sermons and yet so few souls saved? Why is it there is so much church machinery, and yet so little effect produced? Why is it there is so much running here and there, and yet so few brought to Christ? Why is all this? The reply is short and simple. There's not enough private prayer. The cause of Christ does not need less working, but it does need more praying among the workers. Let us each examine ourselves and amend our ways. The most successful workmen in the Lord's vineyard are those who are like their master, often and much upon their knees.